Do you like a fresh, cool, crunchy, sweet apple? Do you like a juicy, sweet orange? Now, I'm no botanist, and I don't play one on TV, but I know a few things about fruit trees. Apparently, I know very little else about any other kind of plant because, you know, when I plant herbs and carrots and whatever, fail, fail, fail. But really good, abundant, healthy, delicious fruit does not just happen. If, if I want lots of good fruit from my fruit tree, I have to do some important things. It needs to be in good soil. The tree needs to have sunlight. The tree needs to be pruned properly from time to time. And I need to keep the, the nasty bugs off, off the fruit. But even with that, the tree won't grow lots of good fruit unless it takes in proper amounts of water and nutrients. If the tree doesn't take in the water or the nutrients it needs, the tree won't grow lots of good fruit. It just won't. And if you feed the tree poisons, if you feed it herbicides, or if you choke off the entire water supply, that tree is going to end up sickly and eventually die. In the same way, if you and I are going to bear much healthy spiritual fruit and honor God with our lives, then you and I need to daily take in what we need to feed our spiritual life, and lots of it. If you drink of the water of life and you feed on the word of God, day by day you'll grow abundant, godly, spiritual fruit that brings glory to God. But if you starve yourself of the word of God and instead feed yourself with worldliness and worldly philosophy, your spiritual life will shrivel up and you can forget about bearing spiritual fruit. You might be able to go through the motions when you come to church and be with your Christian friends, but your spiritual life is going to be sickly. We're continuing our study in the New Testament book of Colossians, so if you brought your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter, and he starts this letter like he does with his other letters, with information, doctrinal truth about the, the deity, the life, the work of Jesus Christ, the theological underpinnings of the Christian life, and who we are by faith in Christ, who we are in him. And then Paul applies this truth and teaches us the implications for our daily lives. He tells us that we're supposed to kill off our old life of sin and indifference to God and to, to live now like who we are in Christ. To put on godliness and Christ-likeness. We're to live like we're spiritually alive. And then we come to our text for today. Let's take a running start into our text. We're going to start in chapter 3, verse 12. Our verses are 16 and 17. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. 
And above all these, put on love, which binds together everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. In our verses for today, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here's the big idea from the verses for our text today. It's this. To fully honor God in your daily living and to help others grow in Christ, the word of God must be the dominant controlling influence in your life. To fully honor God in your daily living and to help others grow in Christ, the word of God must be the dominant controlling influence in your life. Something is going to guide your life. Something is going to influence you in the way that you do what you do. And all day long, every day, we are being bombarded constantly all day long by all kinds of other voices, worldliness and error and godlessness from a thousand different sources. And if you and I don't take in God's truth on a daily basis, worldliness or whatever else is going to be your main influence. It's going to end up being the influence of your life, simply by default. And you won't bear spiritual fruit. The Apostle Paul gives us four commands in verses 16 and 17 that will help us glorify God with our lives. And the first command is this. Absorb the word abundantly. Absorb the word abundantly. We see that in the first part of verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You and I need the word of God. We need the scriptures in order to grow in Christ, to be more like Christ, to bear spiritual fruit. And I use the word absorb here because the point is not just to get your Bible out and read it or to to hear it and let it just bounce off your heart and on you go your merry way. Scriptural truth needs to become part of who you are. You need to absorb it into your heart so that it changes you and becomes part of you. It marks you. It drives you. Paul says, let the word dwell in you. Permit it. Welcome it. Invite it into your heart. Invite it into your life to make it change you. Be welcoming to the scriptures. Don't be reluctant. Don't be resistant. Open up your heart wide and receive the word. Humbly and thankfully receive it. The the encouraging parts and the challenging parts. Not all the scriptures are equally encouraging, are they? Some of them are hard. Sometimes God wants to get our attention and he corrects us and he reproves us and rebukes us through his word. But all of it is good. All of it is necessary for building us up to to be more like Christ. All of it is important. So we should welcome all of it with humility The Apostle James says, receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive with 
submission, with humility, the implanted word. Job says in Job 23, he said, I have treasured your words, the words of his mouth, more than my necessary food. And then Paul says the word should dwell in you. It means that it should live in you. It should take up residence in you. It should be at home in you. The word shouldn't be just an occasional visitor that, that you get on a, on a Sunday for an hour and that's it. Or just on a, a Tuesday or Wednesday in your growth group and then for that amount of time and then you bid, it, bid yourself adieu from the word. No, Paul says to welcome the word as a permanent resident in your soul. Let it dwell in you in such a way that God's truth more and more becomes the functional governing authority of your life. The word should dwell in us richly, Paul says, not just a little, not scarcely, but abundantly, extravagantly, generously should reside in us. You should never be content with just hearing a sermon on a Sunday and then spiritually starve the rest of the week. Or have an occasional quiet time when you think of it. Or when it feels convenient. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 2, he says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Long for it. I need this. God, help me. Take it in. Lots of it. How should I do that? How do we do that? Well, let me give you some suggestions. Give time to reading the scriptures on a daily basis. That is so basic. We say that all the time here in this church. Give time to reading the scriptures on a daily basis. This is the most basic spiritual discipline in in the Christian life. I've heard some say, you know what, but I'm, I'm not a reader. I'm just not a reader. Can I suggest to you that you become one? Become a reader. Work at it. Pray. Ask God for help. Oh, God, help me to be a reader. You know, God would never give you a command that he wouldn't give you the grace to obey. But for some of you, that actually may be a real, like, problem, a real problem I can't read or can't read well. Well, then listen to it. You know, there's Bible apps that will read it to you. And listen to the word being taught and preached regularly. Be in Sunday worship faithfully. Have a heart of anticipation for what God will teach you through the preaching, through the teaching, through the fellowship of one another. And don't just read it. Study it. Study it carefully so that you can handle the word with accuracy. You can handle the word properly in its context. And that's one of the great benefits of being in one of our growth groups because that's what we do on a weekly basis. We study the scriptures. How does this, what does it mean? What does it say? How does it apply to my life? 
and memorize portions of the word. If a verse speaks to you, if God is poking at you and he gives you a juicy bit of truth, memorize that verse, chew on it, think about it, meditate on it. Ask God to work that truth into your life and make it real. Sink the word deep into your heart. I was so encouraged this morning. I talked to uh, one of the sisters here <coughs> before the service, and she said that she's memorizing Colossians. As we're going along through it, she's memorizing it along the way. Last week was a bit of a challenge with, I don't know, a dozen verses. You can do that. You can do a lot more than you think, and God will use it in your life to the degree that you do it. And lots of you are really faithful in taking in the word in this church. And it's a blessing to you, isn't it? Nods, I see heads nodding. It's a blessing to you. If you're new to the Christian faith, this might sound a little bit radical. But this is foundationally important for you as a Christian. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be enriched and built up in your life? There's so much negativity, so much pounding on you. Do you want to be blessed? Here's what King David said in Psalm 1. You'll be blessed as you delight in the word and meditate on it day and night. Blessed is the man who meditates on the word day and night because you're filling yourself with God's truth. But what's really at the heart of all this? The heart of this is that as believers in the one true God, the one who loves us with an everlasting love, who has forgiven us and bought us through the blood of his own dear son, we want our Savior at the center of our thoughts, the center of our life, so that we would bring him glory. Isn't that what we want? We want Jesus to be the controlling influence of our lives that we would bring him maximum glory in everything. And God talks to us and God works in us through his word. The spirit of God uses the word of God that's in us to lead us and guide us and guide our behavior and encourage us and convict us of sin and point us to Jesus. Pastor and author John MacArthur said this. He said, The word in the heart and the mind is the handle by which the Spirit turns the will. I love what the great 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon wrote. He said this. He said, Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the Word of God and get that Word into ourselves. As I have seen the silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it, so ought we to do with the word of the Lord, not crawl over its surface, but eat right into it till we have taken it into our inmost parts. It is idle merely to let the eye glance over the words or to recollect the poetical expressions or the historic facts. But it is blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at last you come to talk in scriptural language. And your very style is fashioned upon scripture models. And what is better still, your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord. That's what we're after. 
When you absorb the word richly, it'll start to guide you reflexively. In other words, verses or principles of Scripture will start to pop into your head as you're going through your life and encountering various situations, various temptations, very, various things in your life. Verses of Scripture will pop into your head. You'll, you're facing a temptation to sin or lust. And you think of Romans chapter 6. I am no longer a slave to sin. My old self has been crucified with Christ. Or temptations to become angry or impatient with a brother in Christ. And maybe you think of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. If that's an issue of yours, anger and impatience and all that, memorize those couple verses. Chew on them. Think about them. Or decisions need to be made. How can I honor Christ in this decision? 2 Corinthians 5, 9, we make it our aim to please Him. Or when relational conflicts arise, it should pop into your mind, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. I've been given, forgiven so much. God calls me to forgive my brother. When your friend is going through something big, maybe Psalm 46, 1 pops in your head. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The more richly the word of God is in your mind and heart, the more the spirit of God can bring it to mind when you need it. We should note that the word you in this verse is plural. It's a collective you. Let the word of Christ dwell in y'all richly. Or like we say in, I don't know what, Mentor or Cleveland, use, let it dwell in use. Or if you're from Pittsburgh, it's yins. Is that true, yins in Pittsburgh? Do we say this? That's weird. You, Colossian Church, you, Cornerstone. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There's a clear corporate emphasis in these verses. And Paul is connecting it with one another ministries, connecting it with corporate worship. Yes, you as an individual believer should have the word of God dwelling in you richly, but it should also reside richly in the church and through its ministry. It sheds light on God's expectation for the ministry of the church. The church of Jesus Christ is to be thoroughly word-saturated. The church should, the word of God should be at the center of the church's activities and its worship, and not a few verses as window dressing for our, our own opinions. And it was that way since the beginning of the church. We see right from the, the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, it says that the early believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Paul told Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 3.15 that the church is and must be a pillar and buttress of the truth. The truth is the word of God. And that's the way since it's, it's the beginning of our church here. We've always sought to be word-saturated across our church. We preach the Bible. We preach it verse by verse. 
We sing biblical truth in our songs on Sundays. We pray Bible verses and we pray according to biblical principles. We study the Bible in our growth groups. We teach the Bible in our Sunday school. We teach the Bible in seminars and classes and and fellowship groups. As, As a church, we've had this motto for decades. It's on the front of your bulletin. Where the word of God is brought to life. I bet you didn't even know that was there. You've seen that bulletin a thousand times and didn't know that motto was there. So that's what you should expect. When you walk into Cornerstone, you come to an event, you come to a Sunday morning, you should expect to see a word-centered event. The Word of God is going to be central in what we do. Now, I'm not patting ourselves on the back in any way because we don't do this perfectly. We don't do anything perfectly. But brethren, that's what you should expect at every church you walk into. And sadly, it's less and less the case these days. It's becoming more rare. The Bible, the Word of God might be part of what they do, but it's really much more about all kinds of other things. And I'm sure it grieves the heart of God and it starves the people of God. Absorb the Word abundantly. The second command we see is to minister the Word wisely. Minister the Word wisely. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The word of God that dwells in you is good for you and it helps you grow. But Paul is saying that word shouldn't just sit in there in you. You should use the word of God that God is is working in you to build up one another. This is one another ministry so that they might grow in Christ. Even the most gifted preacher in the church can't minister the word of God to all the various needs of every individual in the congregation all week long. Can't do it. We need each other. We need one another to help us in our spiritual growth for mutual encouragement, mutual strength as we live in this world. Spurgeon said it like this. He said, the word of Christ must dwell in you and then you must become a mutual instruction society. Paul teaches us to use the Word of God in two ways here, teaching and admonishing. One is more positive and one is more negative. Teaching is getting at positively imparting spiritual biblical truth. Positively imparting biblical truth. It's bringing biblical truth to bear on situations of life. Teaching. And then there's admonishing, which has more of a a negative connotation. It refers to warning about the danger of straying from biblical truth. Warning them of consequences that could follow, correction, reproof, rebuke. This is a ministry of correction, lovingly turning your brother back to faithfulness to Christ. And we should learn to be glad to receive both of them teaching and admonishing from one another. It's a ministry of love for one another. And the word of God should be ministered in all wisdom, Paul says in appropriate ways. 
with sensitivity and love and insight into the situation and insight into the people involved. That's why I said minister the word. We don't just take aim and fire off a Bible verse thoughtlessly or carelessly. We use the word with care and with love and with discernment. We minister the truth in all wisdom. King Solomon tells us in Proverbs 15.23 to make an apt answer, an appropriate or suitable answer in the circumstances. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. Proverbs 25.11 a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. It's beautiful, it's valuable. And when Paul uses the word teaching, I don't think Paul meant that when you get together with your friend for coffee, you bring along a lesson plan and a whiteboard and start a lecture. Share with your brothers and sisters how the Lord has worked in you, how the Lord is working in you. Share with them scriptures that were important to you as you went through a trial like they're going through. Share with them biblical truth that's been meaningful and helpful and strengthening as you were facing circumstances like these. Share with them promises of God that God has so graciously answered in your life. And when you counsel your friend who needs advice, open a Bible and minister the truth of Scripture. You might be thinking, you know, I'm not a, I'll do the others. I'm not a counselor. Yeah, you are a counselor. You informally counsel one another all the time. The only question is, what kind of counsel are you giving? Is it worldly philosophy or is it God's truth? You know what will help? I heard this great quote from David Hasselhoff. The word from the Hoff. Probably half of you don't know who that is. I heard this great thing from Kanye West. Let me share it with you. Or here's my magic eight ball. Let's shake this thing up and let's see what it says. Remember what King Solomon says in Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. The wisest counsel you can give will be the counsel that lines up with scripture. And if you want to be a help in the lives of your friends and in the lives of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then look for ways to minister the word wisely. The third command we see in this text is sing the word thankfully. Sing the word thankfully. Look at the third part of verse 16. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now at first glance you might be thinking that verse might feel a little out of place. We're talking about taking in the word and teaching the word and living the word and sing. 
But one of the ways we minister biblical truth to one another in a corporate setting is through our worship, is through our singing. So our corporate singing has two purposes. And first, mainly, our singing exalts God. It's an act of worship. That's the main function of singing in the church. That's what we naturally think of. We worship God in our singing. We sing songs of worship from the heart to God in spirit and in truth, Jesus taught us. We sing with thankfulness for God's beauty and holiness and majesty and glory. We sing to God with thankfulness for his love and compassion and goodness. Our singing exalts God and worships God. Second purpose, our singing teaches and builds up one another. Because the songs are filled with biblical truth, they not only exalt the Lord, but they build up the body of Christ as we sing them. In effect, we sing them to one another. So our songs have a teaching function. You encourage and build up your brothers and sisters around you as you sing. Scott Annual, the executive VP of G3 Ministries, writes this about our singing. He says, the purpose of what we're singing is not merely to express what is already in our hearts. The purpose of what we sing is to form our hearts, to shape our responses toward God, to mature our emotions. The goal of this worship is discipleship. It's building up the body. And that's what we already did this morning. This morning we sang to God and we sang to each other. We sang, hear the call of the kingdom to be children of light with the mercy of heaven, the humility of Christ, walking justly before him, loving all that is right, that the life of Christ might shine through us. Hear the call of the kingdom to reach out to the lost with the Father's compassion and the wonder of the cross bringing peace and forgiveness and a hope yet to come. Let the nations put their trust in him. And then to God, we affirmed our commitment to the the call of the kingdom ministry. King of heaven, we will answer the call. We will follow, bringing hope to the world, filled with passion, filled with the power to proclaim salvation in Jesus' name. We'll do that, Lord. We also sang a song of worship to God to honor him for who he is and his glorious nature. We sang, great is your faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. We worship God with thankfulness for his faithfulness, for his mercy, for his gracious providence. And at the same time, we encouraged one another that God is merciful and faithful and graciously providential. We reminded one another. Both are happening and both are important. Paul calls out three forms of music here. He says psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And most scholars don't believe that Paul was intending to make sharp distinctions between types of songs. There was plenty of overlap between types of songs. 
But Psalms here were likely referring to the Old Testament book of Psalms. The Psalms were essentially a songbook for the people of God when they gathered corporately. Hymns were expressions of praise to God, festive songs of praise. Spiritual songs were other kinds of songs, probably songs of testimony about what God has been doing in our lives, maybe gospel-connected songs. But the point here is that no matter what types of songs we use in worship, all the songs are to be filled with biblical truth so that when, when they're sung in worship, they exalt and glorify God in accord with what he's revealed about himself in Scripture. They teach what's true. That's why when it comes to the songs we sing here, we're very particular. There's a lot of songs that the Christian world sings that we will not sing in this church. Josiah, when he's looking at songs, he's looking through the lyrics, word for word, every word in the songs, to see whether it lines up with Scripture. Right? Yeah. So the issue in corporate singing is not so much the form of the songs. We're going to sing varieties of forms of songs here. We had some kind of, what would you call the first song style? Country. Bluegrass. I don't know what it was. All kinds of songs. Hymns we're going to sing. It's not so much the form. We're going to sing a variety, but the heart of the matter is always the content of the songs. It's always the heart of the matter. Sing the word thankfully to exalt God and build up one another. And the final command we see here is live the word faithfully. Live the word faithfully, verse 17. Verse 17 is really a good summary of all that Paul has been teaching since the beginning of the chapter. He says this, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Listen to the absolute comprehensiveness of the words in this command. Whatever you do. You mean like all the kinds of things I do? Things that I say, things that I do, all those kinds of things? Yes. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Like everything? Everything? Everything. Yes, everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus. I know, right? So if you can't say or do something in the name of Jesus, Paul says, don't say or do that thing. Actually, that would probably be a good verse to memorize and meditate on, right? That's a good one. Boy, that'll hit your heart. What does it mean to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus? It means to speak and act consistently with all that Jesus is. In his character, who he is, what he wants. To act consistently with all of that. It means to speak and act in a way that will honor God and reflect well on our Savior and be obedient to God's commands in Scripture. Paul says much the same thing in 1 Corinthians 
So then, whether you eat or drink or, and here's the comprehensiveness, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All to the glory of God. Wow, even my eating and drinking? Yes, all. So that's a great challenge for us. And there's a couple things that that need to be true to really live this way. Number one, we need to have the Word of God dwelling in us richly. The Scriptures need to be in us so that it impacts the way we think and speak and behave and live. We need to know what honors Jesus. So we need to have the Word of God in us. That's a progressive process. That doesn't happen instantly when you become a Christian. You start down the road, taking in the Word, absorbing the Word, absorbing it more and more over time, and then live what you absorb. The second thing is we can't do it on our own. We need the Spirit of God to empower us by His grace. We need to pray. We need to call on God for the strength and the grace and the power to glorify Him. Help me, Lord, obey what I know. And we're, gonna, we're never going to be perfect at this. We'll always fall short because we're sinners. But God is always gracious. God is always faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess our sin to Him. It's a progressive process. We learn, we apply, we grow. We learn more, we apply, we grow. And we fail. And we confess it to God and we get back up and we walk again in the power of His Spirit. And then again, Paul calls us to be thankful. Three times in in three verses, he talks about being thankful. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We honor God with our lives, with thankfulness, with gratitude in our hearts, not grudgingly, not reluctantly, with thankfulness because it pleases us to glorify God in the way we live. And it's satisfying to us because we know that our lives are pleasing to God, with thankfulness in our hearts. Brethren, feed your soul daily with the scriptures. Feed your soul daily with the scriptures. If this, is, if this is not yet a habit for you, I would encourage you to commit before God. Ask God for help. Ask God for grace. Help me to start down this road. Make this a habit in my life, a good habit. God has given us the ability to have good habits. to be faithful with this important discipline. Don't neglect to take in your necessary spiritual food or you'll wither and produce anemic fruit. Absorb it abundantly through all kinds of means by reading it in your devotional time, by studying it together in growth groups or however you do that, listening to preaching and so on so that the word becomes the dominant controlling influence in your life. That's where we're headed with this. 
And that's how you'll bear good, healthy, spiritual fruit. That's how you'll help one another. That's how you'll honor and glorify the Savior who bought you through his own blood and gave you new life. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. You have revealed to us the way to life. You have revealed to us the way to live a life that honors you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your love in doing that and providing for us. We ask you, Lord, help us not to neglect this important spiritual discipline. Work in us, Lord, that we might be faithful to take in the scriptures and to take it and absorb it. Make it a part of our life that you might be honored, that you might be glorified. Lord, help us when we feel lazy. Help us, Lord, not to neglect this important principle. Empower us. Give us the grace we need. Thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new day by day. We call on you for mercy and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.